Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. House Republicans this week are starting their first legislative attack on the Biden administration for putting a pause on new natural gas export permits. They've held hearings, and now they're expected to vote as soon as today on a messaging bill that would essentially overturn the move, even though it's unlikely to become law. It's still a big deal, though, because the United States leads the world in both LNG exports and oil and gas production, and Republicans don't want anything to threaten that. So today, I wanted to speak to one of the main leaders of the GOP attacks, Representative Jeff Duncan of South Carolina, to talk about the pause, his retirement, and the larger exodus of GOP members from the influential House Energy and Commerce Committee, along with other significant energy policy topics like permitting reform, the Inflation Reduction Act, and more. Here's our extended conversation. It's Thursday, February 15th. Congressman Duncan, thanks for joining us. So wanted to start off with news of the day around, of course, President Biden's pause on LNG permitting. So your subcommittee held a hearing on the freeze just last week. And of course, the House this week is voting on a bill that would essentially block it. I know you and other Republicans have kind of called this policy a ban There are, of course, still a half a dozen projects to be built that have permits. There's still going to be quite a bit of activity around exports. So I guess why would you say, is it not worthwhile to take a look at how these exports are impacting the economy, how it's impacting climate change? I mean, what's wrong about that? Well, yeah, we had a hearing on the committee last week on this. Actually, it was just a pause by the administration. It wasn't an executive order. It wasn't a piece of legislation passed. It was just a directive to the agency. It's interesting. People think that these projects can just start and stop like this. And these are multi-year projects that need to be planned for years in advance. And I think a pause on this is misguided. Plus, we have plenty of natural gas that we can export to help our friends and allies in Europe who are looking west for American gas after the invasion of Ukraine by Vladimir Putin. And then if you think about lowering climate emissions globally, we can do that through cleaner burning U.S. produced natural gas. Why should our allies or why should even Vietnam or even China buy gas from Russia or from Iran? They can buy it from us and we can produce plenty and we need to build the infrastructure to export that. Isn't that set to continue, though? I mean, based on the projects that are already permitted, it's going to double our export capacity. Like I said, this isn't a short term focus. We have to look long term here and we need to think about long term with global carbon emissions. And these projects don't start and stop overnight. These are multi-year, billions of dollars worth of investment. And you also have to send some sort of reliability and assurances to countries across the world who now are seeing this and thinking, can we rely on the United States to provide us energy five years from now, 10 years from now? And there's no telling how long the war in Ukraine will last. You're no, no telling how long our European allies will be wondering where their energy sources are going to come from, and they're relying on the United States to step into that gap. Let's turn to, of course, the the major shakeup that's really occurring on the Energy and Commerce Committee, along with your retirement. You're not the only one. There are set to be more than a dozen other departures among GOP members. Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers, of course, announced last week she won't run for re-election. What do you attribute this kind of mass exodus to? Why do you think it's occurring? Well, I think there's just a lot of factors and you can't really point to one. This Congress has been very pivotal and vitriol in so many ways, beginning January of last year with the Speaker's race and then what we saw this past fall. And 
just family issues, demands on our time. There's just a lot of different issues. So I, I really can't say you can attribute it to one particular thing. So it's a shame that a lot of them are coming from energy commerce. We're losing a lot of experience and expertise on that committee, but there are others that will step up and fill that committee. They always have and will help America move forward. And then switching gears, your home state of, of South Carolina, like many other Republican-led states, I know we've talked about this a bunch in the hallways, but you know, you've really seen in South Carolina this rush of activity in the electric vehicle supply chain manufacturing space. And we've seen that pick up since the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. So would you say it'd be a mistake for Republicans in a potential Trump presidency? You obviously won't be in Congress anymore, but if that were to happen, for them to seek repeal of those credits that are benefiting your state. Well, keep in mind, the money that was involved in the Inflation Reduction Act, Infrastructure Act, will eventually go away. I mean, America only has so much money in those pots to be spent and doled out. And so can these industries stand on their own without the government subsidies and credits? We'll see. I think South Carolina is a great state to work in and very hospitable state to live in. We're proud of that. And companies like Volkswagen or BMW and others moved to South Carolina for various reasons. It's not just because of the electrical vehicle supply chain or any one issue. It's access to good trained employees. It's access to a good tax environment, a good place to raise your family. What we need to think about is in the electric vehicle realm is when the money does run out from government credits or government subsidies, can these companies stand on their own? And will there be a marketplace for these type vehicles? Yeah, but I mean, that policy, of course, I mean, this is policy that's already into law. And I hear Republicans talk all the time about business certainty. And some of those companies you mentioned are counting on credits and either building or expanding manufacturing. So given that, I mean, would you say that Trump, I mean, he's being very direct and targeting EV subsidies. He's really picking that out on the campaign trail. I mean, that that and potential repeal could undermine your state and it's pushed to dominate this space. First off, President Trump has not been elected yet. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it as a Congress. I won't be here. But if there's a market for electric vehicles, you know, in a capitalist society like we have here, then the market will drive the investment and will drive the innovation and companies will be successful if there's a market. If there's not a market, then they're not. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about widgets or talking about electric vehicles. Would you repeal the credits, though? I mean, if you were in Congress next year? Well, I, I always look at, yes, I, I always look at credits, always look at tax breaks, always look at government spending in general. And what think about it first, what can my children afford to pay in taxes to help continue funding something when we're $34 trillion in debt? And I think taking tax dollars from hardworking Americans and making investments and picking winners and losers in the marketplace is not the right answer. And so, I've always been that way, and I'll always continue to be that way. Got it. And changing topics over to permitting. Obviously, we've had a lot of discussions around permitting and its focus on the Hill. We spoke last summer. You mentioned potentially scheduling a hearing on transmission policy. You've said that's an area you feel like Republicans need to get comfortable and educated about. And that's the piece that Democrats really want in this. So Republicans would have to kind of engage on that to get a deal. Why haven't you scheduled a hearing yet? And do you have any plans to? I'm not abject to having a hearing, but I need to know what the ultimate goal of the hearing is. If it's an education hearing, I'm fine with that. So we did pass in the FRA, I believe, a study to educate members of Congress on what the needs truly are. Once we get that study back, I think we'll be more apt to have a hearing to look into the results of that study. But that's kind of where we are right now, Josh. Would you say that? I mean, that you're, I mean, are you pretty skeptical that anything will get done in this Congress? I mean, you would think but with so many retiring influential members like yourself, maybe there is motivation for it to happen, but it sounds like you're still pretty skeptical on the transmission side. 
Well, like I said, we still need to educate ourselves on what the real issues are. I think there is a desire to have someone else pay the bill to get transmission reform done. But is that truly the issue or is the issue really moving generation, renewables or any other kind of generation from where it's generated to where it can be utilized? And I've yet to see that that's the number one goal. So educating us, if someone can provide me more information that there is a tremendous need to take generated power and deliver it somewhere where it can be utilized, that's great. But I'll tell you one thing we need to do is we need to build pipelines out so we can move energy resources that can be produced more here at home to the utilities to utilize and also deliver to the export terminals once we get those back online and stop this Biden administration's pause. Yeah, but of course, the Democratic Senate and the White House aren't just going to do something on pipelines, right? They're going to want something out of permitting. So given that, I mean, it seems hard to imagine a permitting deal coming together. You know, I'm open to talking with them about transmission permitting reform as well as pipeline permitting reform. That's how Congress has operated in the past compromise. But I need to know what the compromise looks like. I need to know that they're willing to compromise on pipeline permitting reform because I can tell you there is more to be produced and more to be delivered and more to be exported here in America. So you keep asking me about transmission reforms. I haven't seen anything out of the Senate on that issue either. So as I said earlier, I'm willing to trade off to get pipeline permitting reform done, but I need to know what that trade off looks like. And in announcing your retirement, of course, you're giving up chairmanship of this high-profile subcommittee, Energy, Climate, and Grid Security Subcommittee, which you just took on this Congress. So what's a policy area where you feel like you were able to make progress during your time? You know, definitely focusing on the need to build out more pipeline infrastructure in this country. You know, I'm not alone. The Progressive Policy Institute has a paper on this issue about building out the pipeline infrastructure. They approach it from a climate issue, but the goal is the same. And so that's probably been the biggest education for me in one area where I've been able to raise awareness in this Congress and then focusing on from what we hadn't done this in quite a while, but focusing on atomic energy, nuclear energy, and trying to modernize NRC and get them in the 21st century to get ready for what the future of nuclear looks like, whether that's small modular reactors or whether that's some other future fuel source like fusion. I think focusing once again on nuclear power has been a thing that I've been able to get done and accomplished. And hopefully we can get this Atomic Energy Advancement Act across the finish line and make some really strong changes. Yeah, you mentioned your nuclear bill around modernizing NRC. So that is, I I do hear as well from both sides, that could be an issue that moves this year. I mean, you're optimistic you can see something get into law on nuclear? I am. I think we have enough Democrats. Uh, it was a bipartisan bill that came out of committee. Diana DeGetz, a co-sponsor of it, and my ranking member on the energy subcommittee. We've had numerous conversations with senators, both at the staff level and at the member level. And I think there's a real opportunity to get something dramatic out of and impactful out of the United States Congress this year it will help us as a nation get ready for the atomic energy renaissance that I think we're going to experience. You know, going forward in your career, um, do you plan to stay involved in energy? And, and if so, you know, any, anything you could share with us? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stay involved in energy. There's no doubt. I'm passionate about the subject, and that's why I wanted this chairmanship. And heck, I might end up on the other side of helping push transmission reform like you talked about. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Thank you, Congressman Duncan. Yeah, thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And that's our show. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow.
Support for this program is provided by Chevron, who is innovating to help responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.